we're back. It's been a couple of weeks, but uh, you know, we're back again. Summer is very close. You can taste it. You can taste being on the lake, cracking a couple cold ones. That weather is coming soon. And you know, it's it's great to be back. Myself, Tanner Schmady with Corey Brooks. Um, you know, summer is an interesting time for sports. You really got to be into it to, uh, you know, keep up to date, especially if you're a big football fanatic right now, you know, draft happened a couple weeks ago, nothing really with football going on besides, you know, the FCS championship, Sam Houston ended up beating South Dakota state early on this week. And now if you're a football fan, you got to wait until August, but you know, there's more going on. We have UFC 262 that happened this past weekend. Uh, NHL playoffs started this past weekend. And, you know, NBA playoffs, they are very close. So let's jump right into it. Starting with UFC 262, let's go to Corey for, you know, I guess I didn't watch it. But what did you, you know, kind of like about this match or just the main event in general? Yeah, I would just say overall UFC 262 definitely compared to what has uh, been going on in the UFC recently. It was overall pretty tame. Um, Definitely not um, one of the more exciting ones in recent memory. But uh, the main event with Oliveira and Chandler was electric. Uh, We did get a second round knockout there in the first round, honestly. Um, There was was a point where I thought Chandler knocked out Oliveira. There was a point where I thought Oliveira was going to uh, choke out Chandler. Uh, there was a point where I thought Chandler was going to choke out Oliveira, and like the whole first round was crazy. There was a nice big body slam to all of it, um, and then a, a good knockout to boot. So uh, I, I enjoyed that that main event quite a bit, but everything else kind of leading up to it wasn't great. Uh, the co-main event between like Tony Ferguson and Benil Dariush, I think it was. Um, those two guys got booed pretty much most of the time because Dariush was just. Uh, on, on top, you know, just in total control on the ground pretty much the whole time. So, um, and, and the whole crowd was rooting for Ferguson too. So just, it wasn't, uh, it was, it was one of those just, you know, get this 15 minutes over with and Dariush escapes with a win type situation. Um, but then other than that, really the only other big highlight that I had was um, when Edson Barbosa and Shane Burgos fought. There are a couple featherweights and they were the first fight on the main card. We had like a slow-mo knockout situation where um, Barbosa caught him with, you know, what didn't even seem to be that brutal of a punch, just kind of like, you know, I wouldn't even call it a hook. It was like halfway between a hook and a jab with his left. And all of a sudden, like two seconds later, Burgos just starts like falling backwards. Just, it was like the slowest knockout. It was like, he was losing consciousness. If he had like a, it was, he should have had like a percentage bar of his consciousness above his head. And you could just see it slowly ticking down from like a hundred to, you know, essentially zero there towards the end. But um, yeah, outside of that though, not the greatest card. Yeah. I, uh, a buddy called me earlier and he was asking me if I was going to watch the fights and I had like, uh, you know, some stuff going on and I was like, is it going to be, you know, like what, what's highlighted here? And I was like, ah, it might, I mean, it can always turn out to be a good one, but I wasn't very, you know, in tuned with it, but yeah. So, you know, you can't be beggars, I guess, but you know, UFC, uh, uh, NHL playoffs start. And, you know, this is a time where 
hockey is very enjoyable to watch, especially if you go live, I believe. I, I enjoy watching live hockey more than on TV, I will say. But this is where it gets exciting. So, you know, round one, we got the Caps versus the Bruins. Washington leads uh, one to zero there. Uh, the Islanders against the Penguins. Uh, New York uh, leading the Penguins there. And then we got the Wild versus the Golden Knights. Minnesota-Las Vegas matchup. Minnesota got ahead one to zero. Does anything stick out to you in the NHL, or do you have a team that you're rooting for, Corey? I'm not necessarily rooting for anybody. Um, I think the Bruins-Capitals series is going to be probably the most fun to watch. Um, game one was really, really good. Uh, other than that, um, I find it odd. There are regular season games happening all the way until Wednesday, just of teams that didn't make the playoffs, I guess. Um, and so there's like, yeah, like one random regular season game sprinkled in like every day between now and, and Wednesday, like four days, five days after the uh, after the playoffs officially started. So that's a bit odd. Um, lots of overtime already. We've had two on Sunday, um, already today, the day of recording. And then there was one on yeah, the Bruins Capitals game one went in overtime on Saturday as well. So three out of the first four NHL games, uh, ended in overtime. So quite a start to the playoffs, I would say. Um, and with the Penguins losing to the Islanders in game one, um, that, uh, makes they their record in their last 14 playoff games uh, two and 12. So um, they did win a title not too long ago, but it's been a rough stretch in the playoffs for the Penguins ever since. Yeah, I was going to say, so, I mean, you started off pretty hot with the NHL. Two of those games went in OT. Like you said, the Bruins cap series could be a really good one. Uh, and the Islanders beat the Penguins in OT four to three. Avalanche, very young team, very good too. So, I, I could see Colorado being, uh, you know, making a little run. Wouldn't surprise me, but we'll see who hoists the Stanley Cup at the end. And, you know, that it's kind of all I got on the NHL for now. Uh, but yeah, I just have one last quick tune in. shout yeah. out. Um, I did watch overtime for the Pittsburgh and Islanders game. And it was kind of poetic justice. I don't remember the names of anybody involved, but basically after the whistle, um, like 30 seconds before the game winner, uh, there was a Pittsburgh player that shoved over um, an Islander player, basically onto the goalkeeper who was already like down on all fours, essentially. Um, and like the goalkeeper got kind of piled on top of, and then from there, obviously a big skirmish starts. And then, yeah, it was not very long after that, that the Islanders went and got karma and got the winner. So um, nice to see. And I'm definitely going to be tuning into a lot more NHL playoff games. Absolutely. And uh, you know, that of course, any playoffs, you know, baseball anything it, it, it just always seems more exciting um and you know kind of speaking about playoffs uh, we're getting close to the nba playoffs um it's kind of an interesting time to record for the playoffs kind of there's a lot of unanswered questions still to come especially with this new play-in tournament as well that's going to happen um but you know what what will happen? We don't know. Uh, you got anybody that sticks out for you here? Uh, yeah, I mean, just, yeah, we are recording at the absolute worst time uh, as far as talking about the NBA goes. But um, it is going to be exciting to, to to just see how it plays out tonight. Um, basically, 
it's not even decided who all the playing teams are going to be. It's going to be either the Lakers or the Blazers um, are going to have that last one. Just for anyone who doesn't know the format of this, it's kind of interesting. The seventh and eighth seed uh, play each other, and the winner of that automatically is the seventh seed. And then whoever loses that 7-8 matchup plays the winner of the 9-10 matchup. So if you're a 9-10, you have to win two games essentially to make it. Um, and if you're a 7-8, you just got to win one. But uh, the Blazers and Lakers are trying uh, their hardest to avoid that plan altogether. And equally as challenging is what's happening with the Clippers and the Nuggets. Uh, we imagine at this game that's going to tip off, and you'll already know the results of this, um, but both of those teams are essentially trying to lose and not get the three seed because the three seed is going to end up playing most likely the Lakers. And if not the Lakers, um, then probably the Blazers, I think it is, but either way um, the four, I think is, is where you'd want to be over, over the three in that situation. Nobody wants the Lakers in the first round. No, it's going to be a tough fight, especially, I mean, Los Angeles and, you know, uh, LeBron said earlier, obviously, he, he's not a fan of the play-in tournament or so forth. And, you know, I can't remember when it was, but Charles Barkley kind of explained it in a funny way, but almost accurate. It's like, you know, this is your winner of the losers. This is your loser of the loser. Doesn't really matter because they're going to lose anyway, which it's it. it to see the Lakers, if they are in the play-in tournament, it's going to be shocking to me. You know, I expected them to do better this season, but also, you know, a lot of injuries that happened there. And it's funny. You look at, like, this has been going on for, I don't know how many seasons now, but Lakers are seventh and Trailblazers are sixth with 41 and 30 records. And then, you know, you go to the sixth and – seventh team for the east which you got miami at 39 and 32 which isn't bad but then boston's 36 and 36 so you we can tell the difference in the west but i don't know i am very excited to see how the play-in tournament goes down uh you know if it works well and to see you know say it doesn't work well are they just going to trash it after one year bron got um beat up pretty bad when when he said he didn't like the play-in tournament because mm -hmm. previously i think when they first announced it he said that he did like it it's just now that he might have to play in it he's not a big fan anymore yeah i think it's been interesting um it's made this final day of the nba which none of these games are on national television which i think is is bizarre Shock. with with everything that's going on but um Luckily, one thing that did happen before we recorded was there was some final day drama. Um, the Wizards played the Hornets, and the winner of that game um, ended up getting the the eighth seed. Um, which so they only have to play one game to make it in, or to, they only have to win one game to make it in. Um, and then that loss, which would have if the Hornets would have won, they would have had that eight spot, but now they drop all the way to 10 um, and have to play the Pacers just to then have a chance to play the loser of the Celtics Wizards. So um, yeah, it was, it was exciting. There's been all sorts of drama and crazy stuff. There hasn't been like any uh, playoff matchups that have been decided for 
Um, I don't think even up until this final day, we didn't know like any sort of matchup that was going to happen. None of the seeds were locked in. Um, so then therefore, obviously none of the matchups were, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. I'm, I'm really excited for the playoffs. It, it does kind of feel like a, a lot of different teams can win, um, but I'm not counting the Lakers out yet. No, I don't think you can. I mean, and one, uh, I feel like, it's just like Le- the LeBron factor too, you know, and many people may not agree with that statement or whatever, but it's, it's very hard for me personally to ever bet against LeBron when he is in uh, um, like playoff season or the, yeah, after I was trying to think of that word, but in the playoffs, you don't have to explain yourself. He went to what, like nine straight finals or whatever it was. Yeah, it was at least eight. So I mean, yeah. I is it is exactly and, but you know, it's going to be interesting, like we said, and need to uh, shout out Russell Westbrook for becoming the all-time leader in triple doubles. Uh, you know, he passed the big O, I think just this past week, very recently, and you know. That's uh, I keep going back to the Stephen A. Smith thing where he said something towards the line of Russell shouldn't get like so much credit or whatever because he hasn't won a championship. Of course, I didn't agree with that statement. I would love to see Westbrook win a championship, but I don't think it's going to be this year. Uh, it's going to be very tough, but the East, honestly, I don't know who you're going to have come out of there. It's, it's going to be a dogfight and same with the West, probably coming down to it yeah i haven't been paying super close attention outside of the top teams but a lot of basketball nerds love the knicks and the hawks so for them to be the four five is is pretty good for the for the east i think because one two three is all pretty strong like the sixers i wouldn't be shocked if they made the finals the nets obviously and then i wouldn't be shocked if the bucks made it either so um yeah it should be really interesting both sides i'm really really excited for this playoffs um i'm gonna be watching you know pretty much as much as i can yeah and uh you know maybe unless you have something to add after this but this is my last thing on the nba do you have a favorite for mvp currently I haven't been paying close enough attention to like the stats and everything. I, I, I think uh, Jokic is, is up there. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't really know what's the talk. Like are, are there favorites and, and stuff? You know, Jokic is definitely the favorite as from what I've heard a lot. Um, I've also heard faint, you know, Chris Paul noise. Um, but honestly, I think it's going to be Jokic. I don't see how you can't give it to him. He's had a very good season with uh, what he's posted for his numbers this year. And I don't know, but we'll see. Obviously, who knows? It's always up for grabs. I can't remember. Did they announce that after the playoffs? It's it's during the playoffs, like right before the finals, I think, or something like that. Okay. Um, But – yeah, I was I always found it odd that they did that, or maybe it's even after the finals. I don't, I don't. It's it's either right before the finals or right after, but it is weird that they wait so long for a regular season award. Um, I would love for Jokic to get it. He's one of my favorite players in the NBA. Um, yep. I love watching the Nuggets. They're they're an easy team to root for. It sucks that Jamal Murray is not going to be here for the playoffs. Um, but Nikola Jokic is also the best basketball player I've ever seen live. I got to go to a a Spurs Nuggets playoff game. Um, 
last season or two seasons ago now. Um, and so, yeah, I, he, I'm going to be a big fan of his forever. So I would love him to get MVP. Absolutely. I would agree. It, uh, cool, cool story there. And then especially with all the memes about him as a kid and that picture is like, this guy's going to be MVP of the NBA. It's funny to look back at, but, um, yeah, you know, um, very excited for this time of year. It's kind of ramping up the sports activity, kind of drawn interest from everybody around. So we'll see where it goes. Um, you know, I'll just say, let's go Miami heat. Hopefully, you know, we snuck in there, but, um, anything can happen. You know, the Knicks just made the playoffs first time since 2013. So miracles are happening and, you know, we'll be there for the ride. Otherwise, you know, let's get into the soccer world and Corey, you had an interview this past week, so I'll let you take it away. Yeah, we're going very soccer heavy to end the show. Um, the I had the chance to sit down with a uh, a very a person I'm a very big fan of, Joe Lowry. Uh, he writes for MLSsoccer.com. He's on the Total Soccer Show um, podcast group, and they they're one of the, like the OG U.S. soccer um, podcasts and have a huge following. And um, yeah, he also writes for the Athletic as well. And he's he's a kind of a tactics guy, and it's. It's crazy because not too many people, and I, I kind of get into this in the interview, not too many people for a sport as big as soccer get really deep into like what the hell is actually happening on the field. Um, and that's that's what Joe does. He he does a great job of, you know, telling you actually what happens um, during the game. I learned a lot during this interview, and I think um, even if you're not a soccer fan, you'll you'll learn a lot of interesting stuff during this interview as well. So without further ado, here is Joe Lowry. Uh, we now welcome on a very special guest. Uh, he writes for MLSsoccer.com and The Athletic, uh, hosts a lot of podcasts, and uh, is a growing legend within the online U.S. soccer community for his tactical intelligence. It is Joe Lowry. Joe, how are we doing? Growing legend. Man, that is high praise that I definitely have not earned yet, but uh, I'm doing quite well. Thank you so much for having me on, man. Yeah, I, I think it's deserved, man. Um, you know, pretty much everybody in that U.S. soccer community definitely knows who you are, follows along. Um, and I, I read everything you put out. It's, it's brilliant. I just finished the Wondolowski piece earlier. And uh, so let's start there with your work. Uh, when I was trying to find everything that you contribute to, um, more and more things just kept popping up. So uh, you're part of the Total Soccer Show community. I know they put out a ton of episodes. Uh, so I imagine that would keep you pretty busy. But also, um, I also stumbled upon MLS Assist. Um, and I, I feel like i'm probably missing some other things am i <laughs> no i don't think you're missing anything else man i i definitely am kept busy uh it's been a genuine honor to be a part of the total soccer show a show that really got me into soccer in the first place and so being able to step in after the passing of one of the co-hosts there daryl grove who i certainly wouldn't be doing any of this without his influence on me and on on my life so being able to to step up and help out taylor and just have a chance to be on that show multiple times a week is, is awesome. And I I'm truly thankful for that opportunity. And then yeah, MLS assist is a podcast that myself and Jordan Angeli, who is the Columbus crew, well, Columbus SC now TV, uh, TV analyst there. Uh, we started that podcast last year before all hell kind of broke loose and the season was put off for a little bit in major league soccer, but we've kept it going. We've kept it running. That's always a blast. We put that out every Monday morning. And then yeah, I'm writing a weekly column for MLSsoccer.com on something statsy or tactics-y, and then uh, an occasional piece for The Athletic as well. It is, uh, saying it out loud, it sounds like a lot, but 
I don't know. It, it all, we all, we find time to make all these things happen. Sure. Um, yeah, you're certainly not the first person to mention Daryl as a, as a huge influence. So um, I know that was a really, really big loss. Um, I, the total soccer show was also the first soccer podcast I got into. Um, so mm. um, definitely have, have a lot um, that I learned from him and, and all that. So, um, so it should be announced soon uh, that ESPN is going to take over the rights for La Liga. Um, this is a huge W for me personally, as somebody who already has ESPN plus um, I also have Peacock and, you know, the Paramount plus whatever um, I guess just in general, what are your thoughts on kind of the ESPN plus coverage of soccer games? And also how many streaming services do you have like off the top of your head that are for soccer purposes? <laughs> yeah, I'll do the second part first. I'm able to, to work with total soccer show in this regard. And so I think, I think TSS and by extension, me, uh, we use Fubo a lot. I use Fubo a lot. They have La Liga games currently. That's typically what I end up watching or for MLS games, uh, on national TV, they do a really good job of, of having most of those. I think that as long as they're not on ESPN, they had typically have those. So those are, I mean, Fubo is really the big one. And then ESPN plus as well. Those are the two that I use Peacock occasionally. I don't spend as much time watching the premier league as uh, a lot of other folks out there, but yeah, ESPN plus is is a really, really good resource for a lot of soccer content. They have every, every non-national TV MLS game on there and every USL game on there that's not on national TV. That's a growing number, which is great. But they have so much content. They have the Bundesliga as well. Same thing for, for most of those games. And now adding La Liga. La Liga has just been generally inaccessible to people for quite some time now being on BN Sports, which you know does a good job with what they have, but they're not nearly able to, to commit as much resources to ES, uh, to La Liga as ESPN is. And so I think it's a great move, especially as we're seeing a couple Americans in La Liga right now, Sergino Dest and Yunus Musa. It's a great opportunity for their games with Barcelona and Valencia respectively to be a little bit more accessible to people. Yeah, no doubt. I, uh, I support Real Madrid, you know, kind of slightly as much as you can for, a, you know, a team in a country you've never visited, but um yeah, I, I've always just thought it's preposterous. You can't watch like El Clasico on TV, you know, the biggest club soccer game in the world. Yeah. You have to either, you know, have BN, which I think the percentage of people that have that is, is very, very small. Um, and then it's, I, I think the subscription is quite expensive too. But yeah, I've, I've always thought that was crazy. Um, but you did mention that you don't perhaps watch a ton of the Premier League compared to maybe some people thought you would. Um, I guess, what teams do you support and which leagues do you watch the most? This is such a, a crummy answer, and I recognize that. I'm not, I'm not really a fan of any particular team. There are a couple of teams I end up watching more than others. I, I'm located in Arizona, and so I spend a lot of time watching Phoenix Rising play in USL. They play a really entertaining brand of soccer, and so I, I enjoy that. And then I watch the U.S. men's national team a lot because that's, that's what I spend most of my time covering when they are playing their games. So starting at the end of May, the end of this month, wow, it's already May. I'll be doing a, a lot more of that because they'll have a bunch of games in Nations League and friendlies and then Gold Cup and World Cup qualifying. It just is going to come, come pretty quick. And so I, I spend most of my time covering those teams, but I don't have an affinity necessarily for any specific team. Uh, as far as leagues, I end up watching most. It's, it's Major League Soccer by a mile. That's that's what MLS Assist is always focused on each week with Jordan. And then that's what, you know, it, most of my writing, certainly everything for MLSsoccer.com and then most of my stuff for The Athletic is focused on as well. So those MLS significantly out outperforms the rest of the leagues, at least in the amount of time that I spend watching it. 
Yeah, that's not too surprising. And thankfully for you, too, that doesn't really conflict with any other soccer watching since, you know, most of the other good stuff is in the mornings or early afternoons. So, um, yeah, you got some full Saturdays there, I imagine. But, um, <laughs> yeah, let's get into MLS a little bit. Um, is it possible to quickly explain GAM and TAM? And if so, can you? Uh, it is possible. Yes, absolutely. Uh, can I in a succinct way? Almost certainly not. Uh, I, there have been many other really solid explainers of Gam and Tam. I, I will say they're both forms of allocation money. Allocation money in Major League Soccer allows teams to, they get budgeted a certain amount of allocation money. They can then spend that money to buy players down from one roster designation to another or to, to use that money for various different purposes within their roster building. Uh, so it is, it's a uniquely American soccer sort of thing. It's a uniquely single entity kind of thing. And I guess lately we've seen a reason why targeted allocation money, that's TAM and general allocation money, exists at all with all this European Super League talk and, and maybe talk about how the status quo in the Premier League in other top European leagues maybe isn't as sustainable. So I think they are they're unnecessarily complicated terms doing an unnecessarily complicated thing, but there is a certain use to the idea. Sure. I like, uh, I just like how, in general, I mean, obviously, it's probably not necessarily ideal to have the salary cap. I guess I, I'm not entirely sure on what your opinion on that is as a huge MLS guy. But um, I, I do like how it does incentivize, you know, spending most of your money on attackers. And then, you know, the defense just kind of get something out there, just get some bodies out there. And goalkeepers, too, like what the transfer record for MLS goalkeepers, like a million dollars, something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I don't necessarily – agree that there's value in stacking all your, all your money on attackers. I think that that certainly does breed entertaining soccer. doesn't necessarily right. always breed the best soccer, but I, I will say, Corey, there's, there's value in finding bargains, right? There's value in finding market inefficiencies. And right now in, in global soccer, defenders just don't cost as much center backs, especially just don't cost as much goalkeepers don't cost as much barring the top 1%. And so, yeah, there's, there's no reason for an MLS team to go out there and pay, $10 million for a center back right now when they could find one that's better for half that amount of money. No doubt. Um, so I'm a, I'm a pretty big gambling guy. We talk about a, a decent amount on the show. Do you, do you dabble at all in betting on sports? I, I don't, I don't, it's interesting to watch that, that market expand a little bit, especially in soccer. I've seen more betting content and betting coverage around MLS than I've ever seen in the past. And part of that's because of, of legal reasons and things like that. But we are, we are certainly seeing that grow in the soccer sphere for sure. Yeah, big time, I would say. Um, so, okay, you don't do anything for yourself, but just do you know any just kind of wild trends or maybe like, you know, fun facts or matchups, you know, that always seem to go a certain way, something like that that would help a brother out? <laughs> I don't, man. If I did, I would let you know, honestly, or, or I'd use it myself or maybe both. But yeah, it's hard. It's hard to bet on, it's hard to bet on any sport, but like you really do have to be smart in looking for the lines, looking for the right moves because I mean, last week in MLS, for example, right? There, there are a couple of matchups that you think are very clearly going to go one way. LAFC and the Galaxy played in El Trafico, one of the biggest games in MLS. And LAFC have the better squad. They have a more cohesive group and, and they lost that game. They lost that game. They weren't exponentially worse than the Galaxy, but they lost two to one and that's, that's something you have to be careful about when you're betting. And you, you know all this stuff already. But yeah, I, if I had any tips or tricks, believe me, I'd pass them along. Uh, well, I, uh, I might hold you to that. Um, yeah, I think, <laughs> I think you would. I mean, I'd imagine you'd probably be pretty good at it if you ever dabbled. I don't know if, I mean, that might obviously kind of 
it, you end up rooting for teams in, in certain situations. That sure. I know that it gets be a little good. complex. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be ideal for someone that necessarily covers it, but I bet you'd be pretty good at it. Um, well, thank you. Yeah. So just, we're going to stick with MLS just a little bit longer. So rail salt, Lake, uh, just first and foremost, just because of gambling, I have watched, um, all three of their games so far, and I'm having a hard time trying to figure out as someone who didn't watch them last year, why were they so bad last year? Yeah, that's an excellent question. It's something I actually wanted to dig into more last year to set the groundwork. And then I'll take a stab at answering that question. They were, they were pretty poor first year head coach, Freddie Juarez had been promoted within that organization. They don't have a lot of talent. They haven't spent a lot of money relative to the rest of, at least a lot of the rest of the teams in MLS. And so they didn't have this super talented group that Juarez could just put out there and, and let them do the work. And now coming into 2021, after a really poor last season, which was a crazy year, admittedly. But now coming to this year, they've looked good. They looked much, they, they've looked much more cohesive with the ball. And I think that's a, a big thing, a big reason as to why they've been better this year. They look like they have a clear identity. It looks like now the pieces are being put together to be the mo- more than the sum of their parts. Whereas last year, whether it's learning curve for the coaching staff or just trying to understand how to get the most out of these players, it just wasn't there. This year, there, there looks to be a plan with and without the ball. Whether that will continue throughout the rest of the season, I don't know. But certainly, they've looked much more cohesive, tactically speaking, in 2021. Yeah, and I, I'm shocked. I hand up. I hadn't heard of Pablo Ruiz before this season, and that dude's awesome. He's I don't good. Think he's, yeah. I don't think he's put a foot wrong in the games I've watched. It's, <laughs> it's really insane. Um, he creates everything for them, it seems like. You get him the ball, and the, the ball is going to end up you know, 20 yards upfield almost every time. So, um, yeah, I've really enjoyed watching him play, and I, I plan on following him. I think he's got a pretty bright career ahead of him. Um, so just in general, I know Garber kind of mentioned uh, recently that he still kind of expects in the nearish future to, be, uh, to have a merger with Liga MX. Just kind of in general, what are your thoughts on that and how that would work? Um, and just what do, you, what do you see the future landscape of the league? Because, I mean, obviously, you know, 27 teams right now, and, you know, I think the 28th coming in already or whatever. I mean, it's not necessarily – it's not going to be like this forever. Right. There, there will be changes. I think that's pretty clear to see, again – thinking about the European Super League, which didn't end up happening. You can see the rumblings, though. You can right. see the rumblings to combine leagues regionally. Uh, there have been talks, I think, in the past of, of combining Belgium and the Netherlands and their, their top leagues there. And so, you know, the U.S. and Mexico, it, it kind of makes sense for there to at least be more cross-pollination. I don't know. Maybe this is naive. I don't know if we'll ever get to a full merger. There's so many teams. The logistics of that are so complicated. It's a massive geographical area, something that Europe doesn't really have to deal with, at least with a lot of the countries more on the, the Western part of that continent. It's already but, a huge I mean, issue without Mexico. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, exactly. There's so many teams involved right now, but I think I'd, I'd be a fool to say there isn't going to be more opportunities for these teams to play. We're already seeing it now with, with kind of random tournaments like Leagues Cup. And we certainly see it in CONCACAF Champions League, which I think has a lot of value. There's going to be more and more crossover. What that looks like, I don't know. But, I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to, to imagine that owners of, of teams, both in Mexico and in the United States, and that the, the people in charge of making these decisions to financially benefit the, the people involved, they're all going to be pushing for some more involvement between Liga Mekis and MLS. Yeah, I would, I have a hard time seeing just, or understanding necessarily, uh, obviously the travel, but just how in general that would work. Like, how do you decide, you know, if you do promotion relegation, how do you decide who starts where and and the whole thing? I just, I I think the whole thing would be a a crazy thing to figure out, but definitely some huge potential there. 
Yeah. No, it's, it's a logistical nightmare when I'm thankful I don't have to coordinate and actually fight my way through. But I mean, I, I'm intrigued just as someone who is interested in kind of the, the business side and how things are, are covered and how things are, are done. I think it'll be interesting to see what actually ends up happening and how quickly yeah. that happens. No doubt. And, you know, whether it'll be MLS just throwing out the salary cap or Liga MX has to adopt one, it's just the whole thing is, is wild. But I think it would be cool to see um, just to have, you know, a, a higher elevated, um, you know, quality, I guess, in, in general, once once that thing was running for a little while. But um, would you prefer if there weren't MLS playoffs? Um, because I, I just find it weird that the Supporter Shield winner has only won the cup like what, six out of 25 or so times, something like that. And it hasn't even happened since 2011. Like, do you enjoy that we essentially crown two champions in the league every year? I mean, I don't know if I enjoy it. I, I don't, I guess I don't really care. Right. I mean, I think about, I think, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I just, I can, I guess it's easy for me to separate them in my mind. The supporter shield winner is already a flawed sort of metric because it's not a balanced schedule. Every team doesn't play every other team. Right. And, and they certainly don't play each other twice. Right. Like we see in most other leagues or at least most other prominent leagues. So it's not a perfect indicator, but it is a pretty good indicator of who the best team was over the course of the entire regular season. That's how European champions are crowned. And I think that award that, you know, that title of supporter shield winner carries a lot of weight. And then as soon as the regular season's over, it's, it's kind of a reset and the playoffs are random, just like they are in every other American sport, right? Yeah. There are better teams and there are worse teams, but, the results are going to be somewhat random on a year-to-year -year basis. So you need a, an entirely different set of skills, an entirely different set of circumstances and stars to align for you to actually win MLS Cup and win that playoff tournament. It, it kind of makes sense to me that we haven't seen a ton of Supporter Shield winners go out there and win MLS Cup because they're just, they're different. I don't know if I prefer one of them to cease to exist, but they certainly are different skills and different metrics, I guess. Yeah, because I just I find it interesting because I was listening to uh, Mark McKenzie's podcast and when they had Brendan Aronson on like, you know, they just would casually refer to it as, you know, they won the league. Like I, I imagine the MLS Cup probably has, you know, more significance technically. But do you think in like the player's mind, you know, as, since the way soccer is played, I guess, you know, almost everywhere else um, that in their mind, maybe the supporter shield means more than MLS cup, or is it, you know, kind of equal or is, is MLS cup just clearly the, the bigger one that players care more about? I think for players and coaches, if you ask them, they'll, they'll tell you supporter shield. We want to be the best team over the longest time. And I I've asked certain coaches before about that. And that's the answer that I've gotten, but I don't know how they actually feel. Right. I, I almost wonder, maybe this is just the American in me. If yeah, of course they want to win everything. They want to win the supporter shield, but then, you're almost left with this unsavory taste in your mouth if you're not going out there and actually winning the last game of the season. If you win every other game before then and you lose in the semifinals or you lose in the final, you're going to be going to be sad, right? Like you miss that opportunity to do something else, to win something else. So I think, I think, yeah, there's tons of significance on the supporter shield in MLS and that's, that's fair, but there always will be that little edge that MLS cup has right or wrong. I think that is the human element behind all this. Yeah, that's a really good answer. Um, so you're going to hate this question, but, well, set of <laughs> questions, but uh, three best current MLS players, managers. Uh, let's just start there. Three best current MLS players and managers. Okay. Ranking players and managers is really, really hard, um, but I will certainly do my best. Uh, most, most talented players in the league. Carlos Vela has to be 
on that list. I don't know if he's number one. I don't know if he's number two or number three, but he is, he is high up. Joseph Martinez, when he's healthy, is a goal scorer like pretty much no other player in this league. The third spot, I'm a little torn between, and I guess I'm going all attacking here, which is, I don't know, a little flawed, but I guess that's how we all end up watching games most of the time anyway. The third guy is, uh, I'm torn between three players. Uh, Emmanuel Reynoso, the number 10 for Minnesota United, threads through balls like it's nothing. He's Mm -hmm. so fun to watch. Really, really good player. Alejandro Pozuelo, when he's healthy for Toronto FC, another attacking midfielder. And then one name that occurred to me, and I wish it had occurred sooner, Eduardo Atuesta for LAFC. He's their defensive midfielder. He can pass the ball through the eye of a needle. He's really, really important to how that team plays. I'm going to go Atuesta just because I want to give the the slightly deeper, more defensive-minded players a little bit of credit here. But, man, there is a there is a strong top talent pool in MLS for sure. Yeah, I, I mainly just really wanted to know who who that number three was. That's That was the intent of that question. Because, I mean, I yeah. think, yeah, I do think the first two are, are pretty obvious. Um, and then managers. I, I do confess, as far as my knowledge in, in MLS, the, the managers is probably something I know the least about. So um, th- this is just kind of a personal question for me. Like, you know, who who is, you know, really well-renowned, especially for you as a guy who pays really close attention to the tactics and everything. You know, who do you hold in really high regard as far as MLS managers? Yeah, I hold Bob Bradley in really high regard um, with LAFC. I think he is certainly one of the, the top managers in the league. Jim Curtin's another one with the Philadelphia Union. They won the Supporters' Shield last year, and he's undergone somewhat of a stylistic evolution during his time coaching the Union. And his coaching career and his journey is really fascinating. He started coaching as a after his playing days. He started as a youth coach. And I think there are a couple other MLS coaches that have done that. But he started coaching young kids, like, like young kids. And then he worked his way up and now is the coach of the first team. So I think that's a pretty awesome story. And then third, there, there's a lot of guys who could contend just like with the players, but I'm going to go with Brian Schmetzer. Um, the Sounders have started off really, really well this year. And they've, they've won multiple MLS Cups in the past. They've been to multiple MLS Cups under Brian Schmetzer. He doesn't do too much. I'd be really curious to talk to him and understand more about his philosophy and how he coaches. But from the outside and from my perspective, it seems like he sets up his team in a very logical way and allows his players to, to be in their best positions. And it's worked really well over the last few years and it's already working well again in the start of this season. So yeah, any number of guys could fit that spot, but Schmenzer I think deserves it as much as anybody else. Do you see, um, you know, the way that the transfer market's working with the MLS, that's certainly picked up a lot in the last couple of years. Do you think, um, you know, some of the, top leagues would start maybe poaching some of the MLS managers too. Cause it doesn't seem like that really ever happens. We had Marsh, but that really hardly kind of counts in the Red Bull system. Yeah. There've been a few guys recently. Jesse Marsh is, is definitely an interesting one. Um, Patrick Vieira left from New York city to Nice in Liga. And so that, that was a big move. And then you had Greg Berhalter and Tata Martino, not going to other clubs, but going to pretty big international jobs on the grand scheme sure. of global soccer. But I mean, you're right. There is room for a lot more of these MLS coaches to go and take the next step in their career, just like we see players move and take the next step in their career. So yeah, Jim Curtin, I mentioned him already, but he could be a player, a coach, excuse me, that, that makes a move to Europe and finds the right job. If he can find that right job, I think he certainly is good enough. And I, I would be really interested to see how he would do in a move like that. And, and there are other coaches as well in this league that that could be ready for a round trip and, and either going back to Europe, back to their roots, or looking to, to just have a change and looking to have an elevated challenge. There are other coaches that would fit in that bracket as well. But Jim Curtin for me is kind of the, the flagship on that, that 
uh, I don't know, Navy cruiser, whatever. <laughs> Every, everybody loves Jim Curtin. I, I don't, I don't think I've ever even read like a, a single bad thing about him. So um, yeah, I, I've always kind of been a fan of his as well. Um, you kind of answered one of my questions before I even asked it. I was going to ask if you follow any other U S leagues, but um, yeah, it sounds like you, you, follow, you watch the USL pretty closely then with your, with your local team there. Yeah, not as closely as I'd like to, as far as from a national perspective, but I, I certainly enjoy watching USL. I, I, I love to see it grow as I think we all love to see soccer grow in this country. Uh, yeah, I spent a lot of time watching Phoenix. I've caught both of their games so far this year and I'll watch their, the one over the weekend. I, I, I follow them certainly more than the rest of the teams in this league, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of fun soccer that happens in USL. There's a lot of talent as well that will, I think over time, slowly start to trickle up if that can happen into MLS in ways that we haven't seen as much of in the past, but yeah, I'd love to devote more time to USL. There's just only so many hours in the day. True. Yeah. I, I'm kind of the same way. I don't really follow it super closely, but I do. Uh, I'm a season ticket holder for Union Omaha here in town that started their first season was just last season. So yeah, um, I kind of keep up with what's going on with, with USL league one a little bit, but I I'd be lying if I said I watched a ton of games other than, than the Omaha games. Um, so let's hop over to some tactical stuff really quick. Um, as a fellow scuffed listener, I was, you know, recently, uh, shouted out or yeah recently heard the uh, going full joe lowry so I, I figured we could do a little <laughs> bit of that here today um so just in general what sparked your interest in studying tactics and and that side of the game because surprisingly for how big of a thing soccer is there aren't a ton of people that really dive into like hey what's actually happening here yeah i think growing up I was always interested in the strategic side of sports and it was never soccer. It was always American football or basketball or, or even baseball, to be honest with you. And I still enjoy all those sports. I still enjoy watching all those sports and, and playing from time to time, terrible at baseball and basketball and really bad at all of them, to be honest with you. But I, it took until watching a couple soccer games around different major competitions. And then it really took listening to the total soccer show for me to have that interest sparked in soccer. And then once you get into it, it's, so many different factors, so many different elements happening all at one time. The players can move in so many different ways. It's so fluid. There, it's a challenge. It really is a challenge to try to analyze and break down and dissect a game. But I love that idea of actually looking to find out what's happening on the field, or at least trying to find an explanation for what happens on the field. I'm not going to be right every time. I certainly haven't been right every time. I've probably been wrong more than I'm right. But I, I enjoy the process of trying to distill information and find that answer and hopefully make it into something that people like to listen to, or, or at least like to read. Can you walk me through just kind of like how you go about analyzing tactical setups for a given game, or just like maybe a tip on how to see the bigger picture? Cause like for me, like just as a, as a pretty big soccer fan, like I can, I can recognize formations pretty quickly. And, you know, I, I pay attention to who's pressing, how aggressive they're pressing, try to find the triggers for what, for what triggers the press and so on and so forth. But um, just in general, just do you have like a certain, you know, like a, a thought process or, or, or just how, how do you, how is, how is the master getting this job done essentially? <laughs> yeah. Starting with all the things you just mentioned, I think is great, especially early on in the game, maybe first 10, 15 minutes, the game has had a chance to find some rhythm. Probably it gives you a chance to see, okay, how have the managers, how have these teams decided to set themselves up, Right. You get a look at the general approaches, how high they're pressing, all that stuff. That's all, that's all a really good spot to start with. Then I kind of start to look for patterns or I look for repeated actions or, or certain, certain ways that the ball moves, right? If, if Real Madrid keep attacking down their right side, that's noteworthy, right? And then getting a little bit more specific, how? And then even digging deeper, 
why? What's the weakness in the other team? So just kind of following that logical thread through what's happening, how is it happening? Why is it happening? It's a pretty good way to, to follow a tactical movement from, from start to finish. And then, yeah, the more that thing happens, the higher of the likelihood that it was pre-planned. And that's always interesting. You can get a glimpse into what these teams have been training, what they've been working on, what they've been practicing. All that stuff is great. And then it's really important to remember that like, man, a lot of stuff that does happen out there certainly wasn't planned, wasn't planned by a manager. And it just happens, right? It was an individual moment of brilliance, a really bad mistake. Those things can change a game in soccer in ways that they don't change them as much in other sports. And so you always have to adjust for that. And that's hard because I want to attribute everything to, to tactics and to strategy, but that's not always the case. And I'm constantly reminding myself of that. Right. Yeah. That, that leads right into my next question was just how often do you debate with yourself? You know, whether something happened <laughs> as a coincidence or if it was by design, I imagine yeah. it's many times per game. Yeah. It's a lot, right. It really is a lot. And ultimately, unless I'm sitting down and having a conversation with the parties involved or with the manager, I'm watching training every single day. I'm probably not going to find out the answer to that question, you know, whether it was intentional or unintentional, but yeah, I I really do think about that. The more I've spent time watching soccer and writing about it, talking about it, the more I try to think about that because I've just realized it it really doesn't always boil down to tactics. There is a major human element that plays probably a bigger part in every single game. Not to say that tactics don't have value. They're, they're hugely useful in preparing a team and equipping your team to, to actually win games, but they aren't everything. Yeah, I imagine maybe there's even been scenarios where you've spent more time trying to figure out what's happening than like the manager even spent time like, preparing <laughs> for the game, you know, so uh, it's, it's all really I find that all really fascinating. Um, so if you were a manager and all your players had the same level of skills and skill sets, so, you know, you're not you're not changing the way you play to, to adapt to your team, anything like that. What formation are you running and how do you play? I'm probably running a four, three, three. I like the symmetry. It's pretty classic. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't, it doesn't, I'd like it to be fluid. I guess that that's going to be a main principle on how I play. We see it a lot with Gabriel Heinze in Atlanta right now. And we see it all over soccer at the moment. Fluidity is a big trend. Having a player start in spot A and then move to spot B over the course of one possession. And then he moves to another spot a little bit later that happens a lot. So I'd like my team to be fluid and to be able to rotate and have players moving into different spaces to try to disorganize the opponent in a perfect world. I'd like my team to control the ball. Every coach wants that. And they'll tell you that it doesn't always happen, but I enjoy watching teams that have the ball, that pass the ball, that, that break through the defense and score goals. Now I'm not convinced that that's the best way to play soccer. I think there's a a real argument to be made and we've seen this over time. I think there's a real argument to be made that playing more defensively and and sitting a little bit deeper and then winning the ball and going quickly. I think there's an argument to be made that that's, that's a really, really good way to approach things, a really effective way, not always the most fun, not always the most pretty, but effective. And so in, in this perfect hypothetical world though, I'm playing with the ball. I'm probably playing a fluid four, three, three. Love that answer. Um, In general, three at the back versus four, any, any preferences there? Uh, no, I mean, it's, it's so fluid, right? It depends on the personnel you have. It depends on the opponent. It's hard to say it, it is nice. I will say naturally, if we're just looking at, at two center backs versus three, cause that's kind of what this boils down to. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is nice to have that natural ball rotation. If you have three center backs, you can kind of pass the ball from one side to the other, a little bit easier, just rotating across those three players than you can with two. But I mean, just as there are advantages with three versus two, there's advantages two versus three in terms of where you can have players in other spaces. So it kind of is a crapshoot. 
Right. Yeah, I was watching um, a little bit of, of Monday Night Football where it was Carragher was breaking down Chelsea versus Man City, and he did a really good, you know, job of highlighting certain plays where you could really kind of see how how Chelsea approaches defending with their back three. Um, yeah. And yeah. Like you said, it, it is also fluid. Like it, it's it's hardly even like those three center backs are not all like actually just playing center back. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's all just so fascinating to me. And like, I feel like people make a much bigger deal out of the whole, you know, back three versus back four thing, just in general. Yeah. I was talking with someone earlier today about that, actually, like talking about the Seattle Sounders to be specific. And I actually wrote a piece for MLSoccer.com about the change in shape from a four, two, three, one, which is what Brian Spencer used last year to more of a three, four, one, two, which is what he's used this year. And I wrote about that and I wrote about how that enables certain players to do different things on a micro level and how maybe they've changed a little bit of how they play in regards to that change in shape. But I I was talking to this person earlier today and there's just not a whole lot of difference on a macro level, bird's eye view level between one shape or another shape. I mean, you could go really extreme and play super narrow or you could play really wide. You can find differences, but most of them are going to be micro differences, small almost imperceptible at times or individual player level differences. Um, so yeah, it, it oftentimes, I think we, and I fall into this trap, make too much of formation A versus formation B when maybe we should talk about, you know, playing style A versus playing style B. Right. Um, so I often hear the, one of the soccer cliches is uh, they cancel each other out when two teams use the same formation. Is that usually the actual case? Would you say in like, was is it normally, you know, two teams, they play the same way, same formation. Is it normally like that where, you know, just not a whole lot typically happens or is it just, you know, is that just another one of those cliches? It's, I think it's a cliche. I think, I think that's kind of lazy analysis. Sometimes it's not lazy analysis all the time. There are shapes that naturally do stack on top of each other and, and kind of fall out evenly like a three, four, three versus a three, four, three. If it's static and that's the key, it's not static, but if it is, you have three forwards on three center backs and then four across the midfield with the wing backs and the two central midfielders. It's, it's all canceling each other out. And I remember a Champions League game, uh, not this past Champions League, but the one before that, where I think PSG and Borussia Dortmund each approached the game that way. Yep. And in that game, weirdly, things did cancel each other out because they didn't decide to move. There wasn't a whole lot of fluidity. You know, a forward didn't drop into midfield. As soon as that happens, you're not canceling each other out anymore. There is a numerical advantage. Something has changed. And, and most of the time, that's what happens because players can see space. They can move into space. They can be told to move into space, which then immediately cancels out that, that evenness. So it happens rarely where, where two formations do actually cancel each other out, but it, it does happen from time to time. Yeah, no, I, I'm actually shocked that you brought up that PSG Dortmund game because, I mean, I think that was like pretty much the epitome of that, of that situation. <laughs> uh, and the, the broadcasters even mentioned it too. So, so yeah, well done there. I even had that. That's that was funny. like the yeah. game in my mind typing up that question too, I think. Um, and that, was, that wasn't even, what, that was months ago now. But anyways, um, what are just some other uncommon play styles that you see? So like Barnsley is, is a good example of someone who like nobody else is really doing that. Like, you know, to an extent, some teams might a little bit, but nobody to like that extent, you know, where it's, it's strictly long ball, insane pressing, stuff like that. Um, do you have any other kind of examples like that? Uh, yeah, on one ex- one end of the extreme, Bar- Barnsley is a great example. They really have gone full 90s Premier League and added in some pressing. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not fun to watch, but it is effective. I think I think looking at Leeds in the Premier League or San Jose 
uh, coached by Matias Almeida, a disciple of uh, Bielsa, Leeds head coach. They play man marking and they man mark all across the field with the exception of one or two players for 90 minutes. And it creates massive gaps in their own defense at times. And it smothers the other team at other times and allows them to win the ball and then attack. So that's a really rare thing. We don't see that very often, even among players and coaches that have coached or played under Bielsa before is kind of, as I see it, the godfather, at least a modern godfather of that tactic. Like even a lot of his former disciples don't play that way. They take certain principles, but they don't go full Bielsa. Matias Almeida and the Earthquakes do that. And that's pretty uncommon in the global scheme of things. Other than that, I think we, and I'm probably missing one or two things here. We see more micro trends and micro tactics change rather than really extreme tactics on one end of a continuum versus another end. But yeah, it's fun to think about the different ways to approach playing soccer. And, And we certainly do see variance in how different coaches decide to play. Yeah. Leeds is a good shout. I think I've watched, you know, outside, outside of the games that start at like five or 6 a.m., whatever. I think I've watched pretty much every league game they've had this year. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Um, so who are some some teams or managers that constantly change how they play on a game by game basis? The the example that comes to my mind here is, is Real Madrid, because I, I do watch them the most and you really don't ever know what Zidane's going to do. Um, do you have some other um, managers that you think of and kind of in that ilk of you have no idea what's about to happen? In, in a certain way, yeah, I think about Bruce Arena, who kind of famously doesn't care about tactics right. or, or certainly won't really talk about it for very long. He has a way I'm sure he would prefer to play, but the revolution under him are flexible. They play, you know, against certain teams where they're going to have more of the ball because that's the other team's tactics to allow you to have the ball. The revs will keep possession and in other games where they're going to get pressed. They, they might not spend as much time with the ball. So, I mean, I can have a general idea of what they're going to play, but they will certainly vary how they approach games on a week-to-week basis. So that's a, that's a big one. And then maybe looking less at style and more at formation, there are coaches who tweak things on a pretty regular basis as well. I mean, I think about Greg Vanny when he was with Toronto and now he's with the Galaxy. We haven't seen it as much, but the season is young so far this year. But with Toronto, I mean, he played so many different shapes. He played a 3-5-2, a 4-4-2 diamond, uh, 4-2-3-1, other three of the back shapes. And again, we've talked about how maybe we fixate too much on formations, but at least roughly at a static level, they started games in a bunch of different positional alignments and it all flows together and it all runs together. Sure. But I think partly that makes it more difficult for the other team to plan and to scout and, and to prep for playing you. And it also allows some, some different looks over the course of a season. So yeah, Vanny, just looking at MLS, I guess Vanny and, and Bruce Arena are guys that are flexible, just kind of in a different way. Good answer. Um, what percentage of the games that you watch are live? Because I imagine, you know, it, covering one league like MLS as closely as you do, I imagine there's a ton of rewatching that happens. What percentage <laughs> yeah. do you think uh, is live? 20%, maybe, maybe less. <laughs> um, I mean, there's like 13 games a weekend right now in MLS. I probably watch one on Saturday morning that's live um, out here in West Coastville, right? So, I mean, it's afternoon on the East Coast, but it's morning for me, usually about 10 or 11. I'll watch that game live, or at least half of it live. I might flip back and then watch the rest of it on half, you know, a little, a little extra speed later. And then maybe I'll watch one Saturday night live and one Sunday more, a Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening live. So that's three, maybe a little bit more than, than 10%, but somewhere between it's certainly less than half, way less than half, less than a third. It's not a high percentage. Cause yeah, there's so many games to watch and 
and watching them sometimes not live is actually a way more efficient way for me to use my time. And so no I don't end up watching a lot. Of, I had to be, I've had to become okay with knowing score. Uh, not being able to, you know, when you can clearly see like, Oh, the sub is coming on now or whatever, like not being able to just hit because ESPN plus is a, is a godsend for this. Just being able to hit the arrow key to skip 10 seconds. It's, it's great. Yep. And not having that is, is tough, especially too, because we have, you know, we can pause the the live games too and whatever. And that, that is, amazing too i just it makes watching it live just that much harder i guess yeah it really does i've had to certainly had to become okay with knowing what happens and it it's hard and it gets harder i think all the time for me to differentiate between like when i'm watching soccer to enjoy it and when i'm watching soccer to to work and to actually break it down and and there is a crossover between the two i enjoy what i do i really do but it's hard when there's so many games in a week and so Usually I've been pretty good about this so far. Once a week, once a weekend, I'll watch an MLS game for fun. And I'll, I'll still think about it in some different ways and watch it and take some notes, maybe. But just sitting down to enjoy a game or maybe it's a random European game. That's a big game, but I'm just not responsible for covering it. That that still brings me a lot of joy. Yeah. Do you? Is it even like possible for you to just watch a game for enjoyment, like without that creeping in, like trying to figure out exactly what's going on all the time? It is. Yeah. And I'm thankful for that. I'm still able to flip that switch on and off. It just has to be a game that I know I won't really need to know anything about down the line. And it's, it's hard. It all does certainly run together. There's always a connection somewhere of something that could be useful to file away, but I still can at least 99% turn that, turn that off. Right on. Well, yeah, that's, that is good. Cause I, I as soon as yeah anything you know work like you know I, it's it's a slippery slope doing doing what you love because you know you you never want soccer to just turn into only work for you that that wouldn't be yeah. very good um but yeah. joe that's that's pretty much all i got for you man this is it's been a real pleasure to have you on that's uh, it's nice to meet you yeah nice to meet you as well Corey. thank you so much for having me so Corey, now after your interview with joe what what was you know your favorite part about that um, just in general that I learned a lot. Um, I, I now know that I need to watch San Jose very, uh, very closely, make an effort to watch them as far as the MLS goes. So, um, always good to, to know, you know, what teams to watch. Cause you know, to be honest, I, I've already kind of decided I'm about to be a big MLS guy. Cause in the summer you don't have a whole lot of other things going on. So, um, I'm going to be big into the MLS. There's a ton of us soccer stuff coming up too, but, um, yeah, let's get into just the soccer minute to close the show. Um, this is basically just going to be a whole bunch of headlines and wrap ups because coming up next weekend is championship weekend for pretty much all the major leagues. Um, so I just want to give a quick rundown of all of that. Um, the top four teams in Germany, uh, these are all confirmed now. Uh, they actually all have Americans on their team, which is pretty cool. So um, the champions, Bayern, um, super dominant team. They didn't have any Americans that like really hardly you know contributed a lot this year um they ended up sending um one american they have on loan to a different club in germany and they have just another one in their youth academy who's not quite up to the first team yet so um hardly counts but they do have americans on the books second place um rb leipzig they have our starting you know center midfielder tyler adams Borussia dortmund has our starting winger slash attacking midfielder giovanni reyna and uh, wolfsburg has our starting center back john brooks so um good to see that you know where our guys are at they're they're doing well especially in a league like germany so to have guys on each of the four top teams was pretty cool um and then at the bottom of the league in germany it's going to be really interesting next weekend um there's essentially three teams fighting for um one and a half spots so 
um, between those three teams towards the bottom of the league, one of them after Sunday, or no, the Bundesliga is the only one on Saturday. Um, but one of those teams will stay in the league. One of those teams will go to the relegation playoff where the third worst team in the first division plays a game against the third best team in the second division. Winner goes up, loser goes down. Um, Really interesting concept there. I think they're one of the only countries that do that. And then the other team uh, in this situation out of those three will just be relegated directly. So one stays, one goes, and one has another game to see if they get relegated or not. Really interesting stuff. Um, In France, nothing too crazy happening other than at the top. PSG might not win the title for the first time. And I think, uh, I don't know, they've won like seven of the last eight, eight of the last nine, something like that. But if Lille win or if PSG do not win, if either of those things happen, Lille will be confirmed champions. So um, that'd be pretty exciting in France. Uh, La Liga is also coming down to the final day between Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid. That'll be on Sunday as well. Um, Real Madrid has a little bit more difficult of a matchup, but on paper, both teams should win. So it'll be interesting to see um, if somebody does not. Uh, If they both win, Atletico Madrid will be champions. Um, And Italy uh, also ends on Sunday. Everything is settled there except for the top four. There's just three teams fighting for um, two spots, essentially, in the top four. Only really big storyline there is that Juventus, uh, who had won, I think it was nine straight uh, Italian league titles coming into this season. They might not even make it into the Champions League, which would be insane. Um, So something to keep an eye on for Sunday as well. And then last but not least is the Premier League. So... They do also wrap up on Sunday, but they also have a round of games on Tuesday and Wednesday. So lots of Premier League action to watch this week if you would like to do that. Everything in the Premier League is settled at the top and the bottom, um, except there is a fight for top four, just like Italy, where it's two teams fighting or it's three teams fighting for two spots. Leicester City, Chelsea, Liverpool. Leicester City and Chelsea actually play each other in the midweek, which will be a huge game, no doubt. And Liverpool, the only reason that they are even in this today is because their goalkeeper scored a last-minute goal for them um, to win their game 2-1 to today. Tanner, did you see this yet? No, but I saw this on your Snapchat story, and I thought that was amazing. So he's only the sixth goalkeeper to score a Premier League goal. Um, Fun fact, Tim Howard, American, uh, has scored one of those in the Premier League. But um, yeah, it was it was crazy. Usually goalkeeper goals are, you know, like they got lucky on a long ball or or something. Um, But this one, he it was perfect off a corner kick. They needed a goal. The game was tied one to one. Um, You know, a tie didn't really give them anything so they sent up the goalkeeper and he got a perfect header the corner went right to him um, and he just smashed it in redirected it um, across goal and everything it was it was beautiful and um, Allison the goalkeeper he uh, he lost his father earlier this year to COVID and so it was it was all in all just a really cool story Um, and uh, honestly a a great goal a great header all of it so um, all sorts of drama that was it was one of those things that it was really cool to be able to watch live because it that, that kind of stuff never happens. Goalkeepers scoring goals, especially ones like that. Um, and then really quick, too, we have the Champions League final. We'll wrap up. We'll, I'll be able to mention this next week as well. But um, excitingly, 
we will have an American that will win it. They'll get a medal, no doubt, because uh, there is an American on each side in the Champions League final. But uh, we haven't had an American play in the Champions League final yet. Uh, Zach Steffen of Manchester City will not be playing in this game. He's the backup goalkeeper. Uh, but Christian Pulisic hopefully will get in for Chelsea or start. He definitely should start. He scored and assisted um, in the in the semifinal, so definitely he has earned the right to do that. Uh, so hopefully he becomes the first American to play in a Champions League final. Um, and then we also have, before we completely leave England, uh, the championship promotion playoffs start today. I guess, I mean, start on Monday. I don't know when exactly this show is dropping. That's up to you, Tanner. But um, it's a semifinal where basically the championship uh, is the league below the Premier League. And this game is considered, once we get to the final at least, that game is considered the most valuable soccer game in the world. And the reason is basically because the revenue for championship teams is, I don't know, anywhere between like 15 and 20 million. Um, and you will end up getting about 140 million uh, pounds or euros. I don't remember which um, for literally just the TV money to play in the premier league the next season, if you get promoted. So um, it's like hundreds of millions of dollars worth um, if you win that game and get promoted. Um, but the, yeah, the playoffs, the semifinals start uh, Monday, and there's a lot of American interest in this as well. So we have um, on two teams, we have an American, Cameron Carter Vickers of Bournemouth. And um, we have, who is the other one? I'm, I'm blanking, but I'll get to it in a second. Uh, they're playing Brentford, who is also a really easy team to root for. Um, and then on the other side of things, oh yeah, it's Daryl DK for Barnsley uh, playing against Swansea City. And Swansea actually has American owners. Um, so yeah, we have American owners, we have two teams with American players, and then just a team that's really easy to root for. So for me, anyone who goes through, um, I'm totally happy with that. So it'll be really exciting to watch though. Um, promotion playoffs are, are very, very dramatic scenes. Uh, fans will be in attendance and everything too. So, um, definitely tune into that. And then my last just shout out for the show is, um, today on Sunday, uh, Union Omaha played, uh, they play in USL League One is the league that they play in. That's what it's called. They played in the very first ever nationally broadcasted game for that league um, against Greenville SC. Greenville has won. Um, they won the first two years uh, that the league existed. And then last year we were supposed to play them in the final, but uh, Union Omaha had a COVID outbreak. The game couldn't be played. Greenville was given um, automatic champions, but um, yeah, so huge, huge stakes. Both teams were 3-0 and coming into this game. Ended in a 1-1 draw. Um, great goal by Nicholas Firmino from Union Omaha, but um, this was definitely the toughest game on the schedule for Union Omaha. So to get a goal um, or to get a draw and, you know, to play in the first nationally televised game for this league ever um, was quite a cool thing, I thought. So, yeah, they, they are still unbeaten through the four games. And, um, yeah, bright, bright times ahead for Union Omaha. Yeah, that's actually very, uh, very cool to see, uh, you know, local, local town and especially, you know, Nebraska being, you know, that would be sweet to see if they excelled at this league and, you know, even brought like a championship back or sometime down the line uh, for the state of Nebraska. So I thought that was very interesting. And along with that goalkeeper goal, that's something you don't see like hardly ever, like you said. So yeah, very cool events that have happened in the soccer world recently. Yeah, no doubt. Um, it's pretty much 
Yeah, there's only going to be this matchup that was today between Union Omaha and uh, Greenville. It's basically one of those two teams is going to win the title this year. Um, and so and it, it's like not even close. Like they're both way better, I think, than than everybody else. So um, really, really cool stuff for them to make it to the final in their first season. Um, could have had a chance to win it, but didn't get to play. And then in their second season, it looks like um, all things are kind of coming to fruition that they'll they'll get a chance this year. So exciting times. Very cool. Very cool. Do you have any picks for the show that you want to get out or right now still brewing in the head? Um, I actually do not. Uh, the only pick that I have confirmed that I'm making is um, going to happen before this show is dropped, unfortunately. So I guess for the listener, you'll know if I win or not. I, I'm on the Seattle Sounders against LAFC on Sunday night. So um, go Sounders. Very nice. And, you know, that is a very quick show this week. Um with uh, our interview, wanted to make sure we had enough time for that and kind of made that our main focus. It's a great interview. Uh, leave us a review on your thoughts or what you think. And always, um, if you ever have any questions that you want answered, shout out on the show, whatever it is, you can always DM us. DMs are always open. Or, you know, um, just like I said, leave a review on this show on Apple Podcasts. And, you know, Corey, you got any last things you want to add before we leave? Be a friend, tell a friend. Um, we're only going to grow through through word of mouth and, and people sharing the show. I think I think big things are coming ahead. I got another interview, I think, lined up for next week as well. So, um, yeah, let's get this thing going. Help us out. I am Tanner Schmady and Corey Brooks is my partner. And remember, have a safe and fun week. And until next time.